Well, today we're wrapping up this five-part series where we've been taking a look at what the Bible has to say about family and relationships. And one of the things I was hoping that would come out of this series is that it would just force all of us for a moment to stop in the midst of the busyness of our lives and to take some time to consider the goals and the hopes and the desires that we have for our families. Because so often it's easy for us to just kind of focus every day or every week on the things that are urgent and to, at times, forget to spend time thinking about the things that are the most important. And so that through this series, you might be able to consider the blessings and the challenges that are a part of the family that you're a part of, to consider certain adjustments to be made, and then to pursue with God's help, God's plan for family. So today, as we wrap things up, what I'd like to do is to spend a couple moments thinking about a big picture question for your family, or if you're a young person, maybe for the family that someday you get to sort of be in charge of and to help direct. You see, a lot of times what can be really helpful, maybe you've read about this in books before, is in order to know what you should be doing today, it's good to think about where you want to be, to live with the end goal in mind, and then your decisions and the things you focus on along the way certainly are directed by what that end goal might be. So here's the big picture question that we want to consider today. It's this, what kind of environment would you like to create for your family or your home? You know, there are a lot of different ways that you might answer this question. Maybe for some of you, you'd answer it this way. I'd like to create a home that's happy where children and maybe someday grandchildren enjoy coming, where they feel loved and comfortable, a place where people who come there feel rested and recharged. Maybe another way you might say this is, you'd like to create a family that enjoys being together. Certainly doesn't mean that there would never be disagreements or never be difficulties. Every family has that. We've talked about that. But that when those things come, that instead of it separating us for a while, that we come together around those things, that we get through them and find ourselves to be stronger on the other side, that we're a family that at the end of the day, even if maybe we don't even live nearby each other anymore, that we've got each other's back, a family that enjoys being together. A number of years ago, I was listening to a Christian couple kind of talk about their parenting journey. They were kind of on the other end of it, meaning their kids were adults. And they said something that was very helpful for me. They said that they created a gauge through their years of parenting that helped them know not only what the end goal was, but also whether they were on the right track. And this gauge that they used was so impactful for me and Carrie that we kind of adopted it as an unofficial gauge for us as well. This is what they said. We hope someday, that our kids will look forward to coming home even when they no longer have to. 
that their kids would want to come home even when they're adults and don't live at home anymore. And I thought, you know what? There's something about that. I want that type of family environment as well. That's a, that's a goal or a gauge that we want to adopt as well. And you know, in order for this to happen, it doesn't have a lot to do with the externals, like what your house looks like or what neighborhood you live in. But it has to do with things that are very much within our control in many ways, no matter where it is we might live. It has to do with things that are more internal and environmental, like maybe a home where our kids feel loved and secure. That doesn't mean that we just, of course, love doesn't mean we just give in to whatever our kids or our family wants, but that we take the time to explain why we do what we do and do it out of love and care for each other. Um, this is huge that our, our kids know the love of Jesus because I guarantee you, your parents are going to disappoint you. Your spouse is going to disappoint you. Your kids are going to disappoint you. The foundation we build on is not the love of people. The foundation you build a home on is the love of Jesus that will never fail you. And then how about this? Maybe how that happens would be creating an atmosphere of joy and contentment. That there's an atmosphere of joy and contentment. And you know, that, that doesn't mean that things always go well. That doesn't mean we never have our difficult valley-type moments of life. It doesn't even mean that there's smiles every day. But what I want us to get to think about today is the importance of goal setting towards there being, not just in our families, but today's also a message of individually for each one of us, no matter what our family looks like, of a life where we can daily, even if circumstances are difficult, be focused on the importance and the reality that joy can be a part of it. Wouldn't that be a good home to be a part of? Wouldn't that be a good life to live where, where joy is always right there? Now, to help you understand that this is not just something I'm throwing out there, but that actually the Bible talks about, Paul, that pastor in the first century, wrote this to the Thessalonian Christians. It's really difficult to think about carrying this out, but he told them simply, rejoice always. And I know that sounds pretty impossible. And I know that depending on the type of family situation you have or the type of season that you're in right now, it might not even sound doable for you. But that might be because sometimes what happens is we get joy and happy somewhat confused. And what I mean by that is happy, the way that I'm going to define it, is that, that feeling that we have when things are going great. It's, it's that thing that happens, um, that feeling that we have that elicits a smile on our face and allows us to sing in the shower. You can have joy, foundational joy. It's actually a fruit of the Spirit and not always be happy every single day. You can have a foundational joy that allows you to know that there is hope and yet not always be happy. Uh, our first fill-in kind of gets to that. 
Here's the thing about joy. Joy, scripturally, is more connected to your mindset than your circumstance. You've known some people who are going through some really difficult times or maybe have very little in their lives, and yet they have this joy about them. And you've also known some people who have just about anything you could want, but they rarely seem to have joy and tend to oftentimes seem to be down or crabby. You see, you get this too in your own life. Joy is, has more to do with a mindset than it does merely the circumstances of life. And why I bring this out is that joy in your family is possible. Joy in your life is possible no matter what season you're going through right now. And there was a man in the Old Testament named Solomon who, well, he found that out as well. Today, just like we did a few weeks ago, we're going to be spending a little bit of time in a letter that Solomon wrote um, called Ecclesiastes. Um, Solomon, he was a king about a thousand years before Jesus was born, and he had pretty much everything the world could offer. He had riches and power and fame and women. He had it all. And at the end of his life, he spent some time considering life and his experiences. And then he wrote about it from an older person's perspective. Today's verses we're going to look at, honestly, I would say are the most famous or well-known verses in all of Ecclesiastes. And that mostly has to do with the fact that there was a song in the 1960s that was written based on these words. So the birds in the 60s made millions of dollars off of this song, and basically they just ripped Solomon off, is basically what happened. So as I read these words, some of you are going to be humming uh, the melody. Don't hum too loud. It'll distract people around you. But here's these words. I'm going to read eight verses. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. Okay, here's where the humming's gonna start. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. There's a time to dare down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. There's a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. And so what Solomon does over the course of eight verses is he pairs all of these what seem to be opposites with each other. And to be honest, if I had my choice, what I would do is I would treat all of these things like some sort of a buffet where I could just pick the things that I want and then leave out the other things. You see, I mean, when it comes to my life, I would like some laughter and some dancing. (laughs) 
although it kind of depends what type of dancing you're talking about, because I'm not a very good dancer. Um, when it comes to a time to be born, yes. A time to die, not yet. Or a time to tear down and a time to build up. I'll, I'll take the building up. I don't want the tearing down. A time to kill, a time to heal. I mean, I'm going to take the healing every single time. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. If it's, if it's Carrie, I'm choosing embrace. If you haven't taken a shower and you're smelly and sweaty after practice, I don't think I want that. A time to love and a time to hate, I'll, I'll take the love. Time for war and a time for peace, of course. This is all on our hearts right now, right? We want that time for peace. You see, it's natural for us as we hear about all these things, as I read all these words from Solomon to say, okay, those are the good ones and those are the bad ones. Those are the things I want and those are the things that I don't want in my life or in my family. And what Solomon is telling us is that it's not a buffet, that all of these things are going to be a part of our lives. They all are a part of our lives. And so don't be surprised. Solomon is saying as he looks back on his life, when you come into a season that's filled with difficulty and challenges, don't be surprised. That is the way it is in a fallen world. I'm going to say it this way. I think you just need to hear this as being true. Number two, that every life has every season. You see, it shouldn't surprise you that there are hard seasons. And it's not because God doesn't love you. It's not because God doesn't care. It's, God, it's not because God is not sitting on the throne in charge. At the end of the day, the simplest way to understand why is because we live in a fallen world that we messed up, that we screwed up. And from that time forward, there is going to be both laughter and mourning. There's going to be seasons of dancing and crying. Since the fall into sin, there is going to be seasons where there is birth, and there is also going to be seasons where there, because of sin, is death. And one of the things, and I totally get why this happens and this is why the message for today is going to be helpful for you because one of the things that happens when we're in one of those low seasons is we can easily begin to question God's goodness and question God's love and question God's care for us. Sometimes it's felt like, is there a good God who's even there here right now because of what I'm experiencing and what I'm going through? This is where the bird's song ended. But Solomon did not. He helped us navigate those feelings that we can have, that those feelings of what could God be up to right now with the verses that came after that list. Verse 9, he continues, what do workers gain from their toil? This is another one of those old man, old Solomon statements like, you know, I look at my life, all the work I put into things, it seems a little bit meaningless. Seems like a lot of the things that I did don't really matter that much as I look towards probably 
dying in the not-too-distant future, Solomon is saying. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden that God has laid on the human race because of sin. There was going to be challenges. And then he says this, and God has made everything beautiful in its time. Do you understand what Solomon is writing here? What Solomon is saying is something that you and I need to hear in the midst of those seasons where it feels like you don't understand what's happening or how this could be good. He's saying this, I'm putting it in my own words, that God has a plan and a purpose for your life and for the season that you're in. I don't always know. We don't always know exactly what that is. But I want to tell you, he makes everything beautiful in its time, and he has a plan for your season of mourning, and he has a plan for your season of dancing. He has plans for your seasons of weeping, and he has plans for your seasons of laughing. And again, from where we sit and from how we see things, it's not always so obvious. You rightfully might wonder and ask yourself, you know what, I don't see how that can be. I don't see it. Well, Solomon continues. You see, God has set eternity in the human heart. And sometimes we forget this, but God has intrinsically wired us to recognize that life is bigger than this life. He has set eternity in our hearts. And again, we can get super focused on the things that we see, the things that are right in front of us, the things we're experiencing right now, but God has set eternity in the human hearts and no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. This is where we begin to see the almighty power and the almighty wisdom of our God. You see, you and I, we look at things from a slightly different perspective than God. We tend to be sort of focused on the things that are right in front of us and the way that we're feeling right now. God he sees it all. And he understands how things that happen now can affect things 20 years from now or 30 years from now. God, he works not for the best of our life from birth to death, but he works seeing the bigger picture from now until what is best for us for eternity. Maybe it would be helpful to have a little illustration around this. So some of you maybe have done um, cross-stitch art as a kid or maybe even as an adult. And on the back side of the cross-stitch, well, let's put it this way, you would never hang that side up on the wall. You wouldn't give that side framed to the outside to give to someone because underneath the cross-stitch, it doesn't always look so pretty. 
And we don't always understand, you know, there's a knot here and sometimes there's tape on the back to hold things down and there seems to be no pattern to it underneath the cross stitch. But when you look on the other side of it, you see the pattern. You understand there is a purpose. You better see why there's a knot over there and why the color changes in this direction. You just have to see on the other side. Maybe that helps. You and I are living, and our view is only of under the cross stitch. And we don't like the knot there, and it doesn't make any sense of why things seem so jumbled over there. But God... He sees it all. And he loves you immensely. And he's working things out so that there would be a beautiful picture for the people that he loves so much. And yes, at times, means that there might be some pain and some difficulty and some challenges in this sinful world. But go back to that verse no one can fathom, because we're under the cross stitch, what God is doing from beginning to end. In those moments where you're having trouble trusting, I want you to understand, God understands how you're feeling in that moment, but he sees things in a much bigger and different way than you. He knows what you need. He's going to give you exactly that which you need. You know, even our very salvation, the work of Jesus didn't seem to make a whole lot of sense if you were looking at it just from a worldly perspective. I mean, the things that Jesus experienced, the things that he went through, they don't look beautiful from a human perspective. In fact, 700 years before Jesus was born. Here's what Isaiah wrote. Said that Jesus had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces, Jesus was despised. And we, the world, held him in low esteem. Think about Jesus' life. Not much of it would you say was fit for the king of the universe. Born in a stable, laid in a food trough, born to poor parents from a small town, that a poor town. There were times in Jesus' life, get this, the king of the universe where... He literally had no place to lay his head. He came for the world, and some followed him, but most despised him. How would that make you feel? So much so that, of course, you know how his life ended, that the world called for him to be crucified on a cross. And then think of that death, right? Now, 2,000 years later, we look back on it and we recognize the beauty in it. But in the moment, what if you were John or Matthew or Mary or Martha as you see Jesus being brutally beaten and crucified? There doesn't seem 
to be a lot of beauty in it under the cross stitch. But God was doing something beautiful. And 2,000 years later, you and I know exactly what that is and what that was and why it's beautiful. See, it was only through that suffering and death that you and I have hope today. It's only through that suffering and death that you and I know that we have a future. You want to see something beautiful? Look at this picture. This is beautiful. And yet the world in the moment didn't get it. And yet through Jesus and what he did for us in the cross and in that empty tomb, he was shielding us from the pain and the punishment that we rightly deserved. This is how God acted on your behalf. And he's still doing that, guys. No matter what it is that you're going through, number three, God is still making something beautiful. God is making something beautiful in your life. And it may not be exactly what you're looking for. It may not be exactly what you want. You see, if we had our choice, again, go back to that list. We'd pick all the things that seem good to us. But God loves us too much to let that happen, that we only pick the good things. You see, you know, if you're a person who never, well, experiences hurt, what can happen? If you never have something you need to work through, you can become pretty self-reliant and arrogant. If you've never experienced a season of difficulty, we can become pretty self-absorbed. It's in those moments of pain and difficulty where God uses those to force us back to him and to recognize what's most important. <clears throat> it's not until you've experienced the death of someone that you, you really love that most of us have ever really grappled with the reality of death and how life, as the Bible says, this life is just a mist. But it's in those moments we wouldn't pick them that we're able to get perspective and that we're able to better understand why we're here and what's most important. You see... The one who sees all of eternity, he decides your seasons. He decides what you need. The one who sees all of eternity. He understands what's best for you. He decides the ingredients that are needed in your life so as to be a blessing for you, not just in this life, but into eternity. You see, not too many of us like to eat flour. But most of us enjoy cake. And you can't have cake without flour. And God knows what ingredients you need. And if there is a calm that is starting to come over your heart and your mind today, that's exactly where Solomon wants you to be. And he finishes it up this way. So I, I know there's nothing better for people than to have joy 
to be happy. God is making things beautiful in their time and to do good while they live. Make a difference with your life that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all of their toil because there is purpose to it. This is the gift of God. Solomon's saying, so be happy. Your life's not perfect. It won't be. But enjoy today. Enjoy the people around you. And that doesn't mean that you can't pray for some things to change. But until they do, or maybe they won't, find joy in what you have right now. Find joy in the reality that Jesus is on the throne and he makes everything beautiful in its time. So I'd like to, to close by just applying this to family. You know, there's a phrase we use here and there around uh, North Cross that we heard at a conference that we went to. And I think it's just helpful for me. It was helpful when I first heard it. So there's this common phrase that we sometimes use when we're going through a season with our, our kids. It's um, the phrase, it's just a phase, it'll be over. It's just a phase. It's going to end. <laughs> I get that. I've been there. But what we heard and what we like to do and just twist that a little bit to get your hearts and minds in different places is this. When it comes to your family, whichever phase you're experiencing, it's just a phase. So don't miss it. It's just a phase that you're experiencing right now. So don't Go buy it without experiencing the joy of it. So if you're a kid, here's my encouragement. Don't spend all your time hoping for you to be older and being an adult. Enjoy being a kid. Enjoy going outside and playing with your friends. Enjoy going to practice and enjoy going to school and even enjoy a little bit homework. Enjoy being a kid. Find joy in it to the glory of God. And if you're single, find joy in this season, even as maybe you pray for there to be someone to spend your life with. Enjoy the, <laughs> this is true, the extra free time that you have and the ability to control your schedule a little bit more than when you get married. Find joy in being single. To the glory of God, it's just a phase. Don't miss it. If you're someone, a couple who's hoping for kids, as you wait to hopefully have kids someday, enjoy life without kids. Find joy in the, the freedoms that you have that you won't have. Find your identity not in having a child, but being a child of God. Find joy in that season. Parents, if your kids are little and they live at home, find joy in that season. My encouragement to you is to find joy in getting down on the floor and wrestling with the kids and take the time to read stories or Bible stories at night. Pray with them. Laugh with them. How about this? Enjoy the noise because it won't always be there. Find joy in that season. 
And if you're older parents who the kids are starting to find their way out of the house or have been out of the house already, find joy in that season too. Find joy in, in this season where, again, you have a little more freedom again. Find joy in the opportunity to spend the day with the grandkids, then give them back and get a good night's sleep. Find joy in that season. And I could go on and on and on, but you know what? So often, we don't take the moment to just be thankful for the season we're in. But instead, we're waiting to be happy, waiting to find joy. We have a God no matter what season you're in. He's promised to make things beautiful in its time. So find joy in the season and in the family that you have. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Today, as we wrap up this series, we just thank you for the people in our lives that we call family. Whether that's so many people, we, it's hard to count, or whether that's just a couple people, whatever it is, you have given us it as a gift. And we just pray that through this series, that we recognize the blessing that they are, and that we are able to find joy in whatever season we're in. Lord, um, we confess that sometimes we do more complaining than we do thanking. And Lord, we also recognize that those sins have been forgiven. And I pray that we go forward today with new eyes, recognizing that we look from under the cross stitch, but you're doing something beautiful from above it. And that we might live with a renewed joy knowing that we're exactly where you want us to be. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.